Attention Northwest Arkansas businesses and talent seekers. Introducing Onboard NWA.com, your hyperlocal job board crafted for our unique community. Struggling to find the perfect match for your job openings? Onboard NWA simplifies the hiring process, connecting you with the region's top talent through tailored talent matching solutions. Whether you're an employer seeking expertise or a professional looking for your next opportunity, Onboard NWA is here for you. Discover more at onboardnwa.com and let's build the future of Northwest Arkansas together. Northwest Arkansas, Randy here, bringing you a quick word from our sponsor, Signature Bank of Arkansas. Since 2005, Signature Bank has been all about empowering our community with local ownership and top-notch banking services. Signature Bank's roots run deep with assets over a billion dollars, and they're right here in your backyard with branches in Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville, and now including Harrison and Jonesboro. With a growing family of more than 200 teammates, they're ready to serve you with the warmth only a true community bank can offer. And they've got Banco C, the first bilingual bank in Arkansas, to ensure that banking is for everyone. So give Signature Bank a call at 479-684-3700 or visit Signature.Bank online. Mention you heard about them on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast for that personal touch. Signature Bank of Arkansas. Big on assets, local at heart, and a proud member of the FDIC and an equal housing lender. Support for this episode comes from Signature Bank of Arkansas. Founded here in Northwest Arkansas in 2005, Signature Bank of Arkansas is a full-service bank offering traditional checking and savings accounts, investment accounts, business and personal loans, and mortgages. When you bank with a community bank, you're investing in local businesses, local entrepreneurs, local charities, and the causes that are close to home. Signature Bank has worked hard to earn its tagline, Community Banking at its Best. Give the folks at Signature Bank a call today at 479-684-4700 or visit their website, Signature.Bank, and let them know you heard about them here first on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Signature Bank of Arkansas is a member of the FDIC and an equal housing lender. It's time for another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, the podcast covering the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life in general here in the Ozarks. Whether you are considering a move to this area or trying to learn more about the place you call home, we've got something special for you. Here's our host, Randy Wilbur.
Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. I've got a great guest joining me, Keaton Smith. Well, he is, I would say he's a man about town. He's a man of many hats. He does a lot of things in the community, and I ran across him. Uh, we've got a bunch of mutual friends, but I, I, I ran across him after reading a really great article in the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal by um, Jeff Delarosa who wrote about the issue of housing in our area and and how housing and the rapid growth of Northwest Arkansas is kind of on a collision course. And I think the, 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 we're, but we're still at a point, if you read the article, where it's like we could come up with some solutions now for smart growth. And I said, you know, I really want to talk with Keaton about this. I really want to learn more about his skill set and background and, and just for him to kind of share with our audience some of his concerns about the the housing sector here in Northwest Arkansas. And since we deal with so many people that are coming here to relocate to work for the big three or already live here and, you know, they call Northwest Arkansas home and this is a really important place to them. I think this was an important episode to have for the podcast. And without further ado, Keaton Smith, man, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is certainly my pleasure, man. I uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I would love for you just to kind of give the audience a glimpse into who you are. As you know, like, as I alluded to, you work with Partners for Better Housing. You're a senior leader at, and I, at Iberia Bank. You also are uh, on the Fayetteville School Board. I mean, what else do you do, man? Do you work at Slim Chickens part-time? I mean, what's, <laughs> what's, what's the deal? <laughs> so, Yeah, thank you. So I'll, I'll go with the hats analogy that you used earlier. I sort of sort of think about four different hats on in, on the work professional side of life. First of all, husband to to Megan and father to four year old Cora. We live in Fayetteville, and and then as my day job, I'm a commercial banker with Iberia Bank. Been there for twelve years, and in the housing space, my role is the board chair of Partners for Better Housing, which is a nonprofit housing developer. And then um, served on the Fayetteville School Board for three years. And then, you know, probably the, the driving passion or the vocation for me for 10 plus years has been an interest in sustainability issues, environmental sustainability, climate and energy issues. And, and so that's been sort of the driving passion and, and the why for, for, for getting involved in a number of, of different issues. But you know, once you take a deep dive on one issue, you see how interconnected it is with every other issue. And when you see that interconnectedness, you can't unsee it. So trying to take a systems approach to to helping the region flourish and thrive and, and become more resilient and welcome a whole bunch of new neighbors over the next 20 years. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you're right. There is a lot that goes into that. And I know I was looking on your profile and you had four words that actually really resonate with me, but those words are curiosity, patience, empathy, and action. And, you know, it's, it record, all of those words fall in line directly with everything that you do, uh, both in your public life and your professional life with the bank, on the school board, what you're doing with Partners for Better Housing. There's a lot of patience that's involved in this process, among other things, but what are your what are the things that you're that you're really focusing on? And and I mean, 
That article came out, but obviously that was an issue for you prior to Jeff De La Rosa writing about it. But what did that article cement for you in terms of where we are right now with housing issues in Northwest Arkansas? Yeah, there's been, I've been really impressed by the the quantity and the quality of the local coverage on housing recently in the media. You know, Jeff's article, the, the Democrat Gazette had a four-part series on on housing, and it's it's such a multifaceted issue, so interconnected with with other issues, it can be tough to to cover, tough to communicate about, tough to write about. But I think folks are doing a great job with it. And I think what this influx of media coverage signifies is a real recognition that housing is a key issue for the region. It's key to our quality of life. It's key to managing the the population growth that we're seeing now and that we'll continue to see, key to talent retention, key to growing in a smart and inclusive way. And, you know, I think that as regional stakeholders align around housing as this as a key regional issue that will take a lot of collaboration, continued collaboration to tackle. I think there's some 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 exciting exciting times ahead for for stakeholders across the space. There's certainly a lot of work to be done. Yeah, no, it is. And I mean, if I back up a little bit just to kind of think about, you know, you coming here. I mean, you're originally from Michigan, is that correct? Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, and Traverse City, is that? Yeah, Traverse yeah, City I, area. Yeah, I know that the there's a there's a beautiful resort there. The the lodge, the Traverse, I can't think of the name of it, but um, I went up there one time and uh, is it the Great Bear Lodge or? Well, there's the Grand Traverse Resort. Grand which Traverse is, Resort. That's the yeah. one. Yes. And yeah, they have a golf yeah. course called the Bear, uh, yes. Jack Nicholas course. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful area up there. People, I always tell folks, and that's that's below the the UP, but it's it's north of uh, of the Detroit area. So. Got to do the hand. That's right. The pinky. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> so so I'm curious. I mean, just before we get to all of the stuff that you're into, how did you get down to the University of Arkansas? Did you did you just see Fayetteville and say I've got to come, or was there something else that just drew you to this area? Yeah, it was pretty random. So I came for college, came for school, and and stuck around. So. Moved to Fayetteville in 2003. I was already thinking about going out of state for college. I definitely wanted to go somewhere that had major college sports and be a part of, to uh, be a fan and, and be a part of that excitement. And they sent me a really a, a generic random mailer at, talking about some of the academic scholarships that the that the university was offering. And and you know I applied and came down and interviewed. I usually admit that. When I came down and interviewed, I was I was probably just as interested as in spending a weekend on a college campus as uh, you know actually attending school. Yeah, but, just um, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like a lot of people, you know, I, I I didn't have any connection to the state. I had perceptions about what I would find, and so I think, like a lot of people, I was extremely pleasantly surprised when I gave it a chance. And I think that's one of our biggest assets is the ability to exceed expectations. And that's that's definitely what what happened to me. Came to school, certainly not probably not thinking I would I would still be here, what is it, 18 years later, but through through the passion for sustainability and the opportunity to get involved 
at the beginning of, of Mayor Jordan's administration, you know, you get connected. You get connected to people and advocates and friends and organizations and community groups. And it's those sorts of connections and and experiences that that make you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself and and decide to to stay. Yeah. You know, it's so funny you say that because I tell people all the time the same thing. And everybody has, has heard that has listened to this podcast has heard me say it. When I told all my friends I was coming to Northwest Arkansas, they looked at me like I was crazy coming from Boston, coming from the Northeast and and just coming from the East Coast period. I mean, we we are us East Coasters are snobs to begin with. So I'll, I'll admit that. And, you know, we're going to like, why are you going to Arkansas? And honestly, you know, Keaton, if it wasn't for a really good friend of mine, I don't know that I would have been here, but he convinced us to come check it out. And as I was telling somebody else earlier today, visiting Arkansas in October is dangerous because it's a beautiful time of year. The weather is right. I ran the Greenway every day, stayed at the Dixon Street Inn, hung out on Dixon Street, got a little flavor of the college life. I mean, there's nothing like it. You know, I mean, it truly is a great college town, but there's so much more to it. Right. And so I think that's what's exciting about Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, you bet. And I, I think that first experience, you know, that first host, that first connection, those initial impressions can be so impactful. Yeah, no, they definitely can. They definitely can. So you came, you came with a curiosity, right? That was one of your words, curiosity, obviously, which would certainly would, would have, would bring someone here to figure out what's going on here in the Ozarks and what's so special about this place. But you stayed, you decided to stay because you saw what the potential was. And, and did you think that you'd be focusing on some of these issues today back then or no? Well, Right after college is when I started to to delve into into sustainability issues more, and that was right around the time that Walmart released their sustain their first major sustainability goals. I think those were released in two thousand seven, and you know I think what was really inspiring to me was you know I'd read a couple books on the risks of climate change, of biodiversity loss, of all of these interconnected environmental issues and and I knew that action was needed on on a global scale. I knew that there was a huge opportunity in for the, you know, the next great global industry of clean energy and energy solutions and and I saw that signal from Walmart which is true a lot of people don't realize how much of a uh, I know you do but a lot of people don't realize how much of a true leader Walmart is in the retail space in in sustainability particularly supply chain sustainability and so it was a love an underdog story and so I was really inspired by the idea that Northwest Arkansas could be you know the leading region in the leading state and the leading nation to solve the next you know one of if not the biggest problems of the 21st century, and which is possible because of Walmart's global reach and scale. So that was sort of the idea that that first captivated me, and then and then, like I said, you get involved and and make relationships and lifelong friends, and and the quality of life doesn't hurt either. Yeah, it makes it easy, that's for sure. Yeah. So I mean, especially if you like outdoors and all that. And I'll get to that in in a minute there. So um, so then you you ultimately you join Iberia Bank and. And then you start off with uh, Partners for Better Housing. What was the one thing that you were surprised about when you got involved with the, the housing-related issues, specifically as it pertains to right here in Northwest Arkansas? What was the one glaring thing that kind of stood out to you that were like, wow, this, 
we either have to deal with this or I had no idea it was like this when I moved here. I mean, I guess for me coming here, I was like, wow, housing is, is inexpensive. It's affordable. You can buy it. But then it's relative to the individual. That's the thing. It is affordable, but it's affordable depending on what strata you're in from an income perspective. You know, but then when you look at then when I started, the thing that was a kind of a wake up call for me was when I looked at the average income in the state. And then I started to I started to put the dots to connect the dots and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, it might be affordable for me, but it might not be affordable for a whole lot of other people. And that's I think that's one of the challenges that you're dealing with now. Yeah, it is. I think overall, you know, I'd say it's like anything else. It's more complicated than you think when you first get into it. So there's definitely been lessons a lot of lessons learned and lessons to continue to learn. But, you know, so I've been on the board of Partners for Better Housing for 10 years, been the, been the board chair for six years, I think, and serve on the board of the Community Development Corporation of Bentonville, Bella Vista, which is another nonprofit um, housing organization that has a longer track record than Partners for Better Housing does. And then through over the last couple of years, as housing conversations has, have really heated up and the Walton Family Foundation has started to bring stakeholders together to create the new the regional housing report and now you see a, the workforce housing center being announced that will be incubated under the Northwest Arkansas Council been involved in a lot of those stakeholder meetings stakeholder conversations and so I feel like from those experiences and those learnings the big takeaways for me is that one, because we've always been this relatively affordable place to live, like that's always been part of our value proposition, right? It's like a great value. Because this is a relatively new issue for the region, we don't have a lot of organizational infrastructure around housing. And what kind of exacerbates that challenge is that you know, for an MSA, a metropolitan statistical area, 550,000, one of the 10 or 15 fastest growing MSAs in the country, most MSAs that size would have a central city with that might have the scale to have like a department of housing or a housing finance agency or some sort of natural convener on the topic of housing. And because we're this polycentric region, we don't have that natural convener. And because we've always been affordable, an affordable place to live, we don't have a ton of nonprofit or for-profit, you know, development experience and capacity around affordable housing. Now, I don't want to discount the folks that have been hard at it for a long time. There certainly are for-profit, nonprofit, tax credit developers, and, and um, we've got Habitat chapters, we've got the housing authorities. So people, we have actors in the space that have been at it for a long time, but it's just a relatively new problem for the region to address. And so you could sort of look at it from the scarcity mentality perspective of like, oh, we, have, we don't have very much experience. We don't have a regional convener. We don't have this and that. Or you could look at it from the abundance perspective and say, we've got a clean slate. We can build this the right way. We're still on the front end of our growth cycle as a region. And there are so many other communities that have been at this for a very long time that we can learn from, uh, both their successes and many of their failures. So I think that's the, the opportunity is to go bold, but go thoughtfully while we're still on the front end of our growth as a region. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I thought about something when I was originally doing some research on you, I realized that we're both part of the uh, ULI or Urban Land Institute. And oh, yeah. they have taken up shop here in Northwest Arkansas. I mean, they physically have an office here, which that speaks volumes to what their mission is. And Urban Land Institute for the Uninitiated is simply an organization that provides leadership in the responsible use of land and creating, you know, primarily sustaining thriving communities worldwide. So, I mean, they, they are, they're all over the world, but they have, you know, they, they do a lot of work in the United States here. And we actually have a ULI office and they're actually working now to, you know, kind of make their, make their presence felt and working with different organizations to think about what is sustainable growth and what is the proper use of the land that we have so that we're good stewards. I think that's the, that's the key word here is that we've got to learn to be really good stewards of what we have. And we do have what I like to say is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to land and resources and things that are at our disposal. It's just how do we utilize those properly? Yeah, super grateful that the funding was made available for a ULI chapter in Northwest Arkansas. Wes Craiglow is a great leader of that organization. They're going to be a key, key convener on housing as really the private sector voice for housing affordability and, you know, smart growth. So they're certainly a key piece of the puzzle and, and grateful that they're alive and thriving. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, speaking of the private sector, I mean, we have a lot of builders in the area. We have a lot of people. And have you found that they are providing some type of uh, support in, through this process and some, some feedback as you guys try to move forward and, and, and come up with ways to, to create sustainable opportunities for growth? Yeah. And I think we've had conversations with a few builders mostly through the development of, of Willow Bend, our first first project. I mean, the workforce and skilled trades piece is a big component. Uh, that's one of the one of the key issues that that is interconnected with housing. And I think that's one of the challenges is that it is such a hot construction market that the contractors and subcontractors are extremely busy. And so, you know, building up that next generation of you know, electrical, plumbing, HVAC subcontractors. It's a huge opportunity for school districts and trade schools to partner with the private sector. In terms of the conversations we've had so far, they've, they've mostly been fairly preliminary, but Partners for Better Housing, we're, we're hoping to really sort of scale regionally over the next year. And through that process, one of our, our primary goals will be to to scale our affordable homeownership program in partnership with for-profit builders. So we know that, you know, Partners for Better Housing and the other nonprofit developers, we're not going to build our way out of, of this affordable housing challenge. The vast majority of the units, the new units that are, that are built, whether it's single family, multifamily, anywhere along the, the spectrum, missing middle, they're going to be delivered by the private sector. And so, what we're exploring is how we might partner with a for-profit builder, so, say they're building a 100-home subdivision, and if we're able to raise a fund or an endowment for, for, to provide homebuyer discounts to in, income-qualified homebuyers, then perhaps we could partner with a, with a for-profit builder. And that way, we're not the developer. We're leveraging the work that, you know, that, the, that the professionals are, are doing in this space. And, 
and then we can help their neighborhood become mixed income too. If we can raise the subsidy fund, then we can make the builder whole and we can we can have mixed income neighborhoods everywhere, which is at the end of the day, what you want is to have socioeconomic diversity throughout the community as opposed to the alternative. I think one of the big mistakes we can learn from other communities is avoiding you know, any more concentration of poverty than we already have. And we want to disperse folks, disperse, you know, we want a range of housing options throughout the region. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's really interesting. And I'll, I'm, you know, coming, like I said, coming, as we talked earlier before we got on this podcast, coming from Boston or New England and with, I mean, you know, it's, listen, they're not, they're not building any more land up there. And so it, right. the, co- the cost of land is is insane. So you know, they, they have basically co- figured out every trick in the book to try to create affordable housing. And it, it's always interesting to see what works, what has legs, what doesn't. And I'll be interested to see what gets employed here in Northwest Arkansas as, as a viable product. Because I could think of a number of different practices that would work that, that when I articulate them to people here, they might say, well, why would somebody do that? And I'm like, well, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to kind of go in a different direction to try to create affordable housing and try things that maybe have never been tried before, like deed-restricted housing, things of that nature, especially if you're you're talking about housing that you want to perpetually remain affordable, or does it just become affordable for the first-generation homeowner, and then it changes from there. And those are real questions that have to be answered. So, because I could create affordable housing right now, but in 15, 20 years, it might not be affordable anymore. And that's 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 the challenge. So... That's the real That's right. issue. You've got some deep experience in housing. I might start quizzing you here in a second. <laughs> so, now I don't know about all that, but here I'm going to quiz you though because I would love for you to tell our audience a little bit about Willow Bend. You mentioned it earlier. It is a housing project in South Fayetteville off of 9th, I believe, Street by Washington Avenue, and I would love for you just to kind of, you know, engage our audience and let them know a little bit about Willow Bend. Yeah. So Willow Bend is the first project of Partners for Better Housing. We're the developer. It's a mixed income homeownership neighborhood, meaning that some homes will be sold at market rate and some homes will be discounted for income qualified buyers. The intent, as you've mentioned, the intent is to provide long-term, hopefully permanently affordable housing. And it is all homeownership. So it's all the property owners association will require owner occupancy. And then and then we are using deed restrictions. So it's a legal document, restrictive covenant or a deed restriction that is filed with the below market rate homes. And what it does is it gives our nonprofit the first right of refusal to buy back the home from the homeowner. And then we'll resell it, you know, whether that's five, 10, 20 years after the initial homeowner moves in, we'll have that first right of refusal to repurchase the home and sell the home to the next buyer, an income qualified buyer that's on our on our waiting list. There's mechanisms in place that keep those homes affordable long term while also mitigating any appraisal impacts for surrounding neighbors. But Willow Bend is really a case study, you know, in a number of different ways. We don't have a lot of examples on the ground, on the landscape where we can point to of, you know, what does a mixed income neighborhood look like? What does a public-private partnership look like? We don't have a ton of examples of those. What does low-impact development, sustainable stormwater infrastructure look like, and how does that work? And also, what does 
compact, a compact, walkable, infill neighborhood look like? You know, we're, we're building in a compact pattern that maximizes the use of the, the, the resource that's certainly finite in our situation, which is land, and, and looking to add a little bit of, of gentle density so that folks can see and feel what, what just a, a slightly more dense single family home neighborhood looks and feels like. And I think we hope to take some, some measured risks and, and put a, a case study, a demonstration project on the landscape that is, is a wonderful community to live in, but also one that for-profit builders and other development stakeholders and, and cities can look at and point to and say, okay, well, maybe this, this development pattern in terms of the design and the construction quality the street design, the sidewalks, everything has a front porch, very community oriented. And so we, we hope to, to set some set some precedents through the through the development process that that maybe others might choose to emulate. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's the thing about affordable housing. Sometimes it's almost like an oxymoron when people when people talk about it with developers or builders, because a lot of times the idea is that, oh, well, you can't really make any money, but there are all kinds of ways and creative ways to to help developers and builders make money. I mean, there are tax credits, there's all kinds of opportunities that make fundamental financial sense for a yep. private developer to be involved in affordable housing. So I think it's just the misnomer that people have about, oh, well, you can't make any money doing this. And that's that certainly is not true. And I can actually point to a bunch of private developers across the country that are making plenty of money doing, you know, private, private stuff, as well as private. They're also as private developers developing affordable housing units that uh, that make a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. And, the you know, the low income housing tax credit is is a is a fairly specialized industry. You know, there's a lot of process learnings and compliance monitoring, you know, that goes into that. And so tends to be the developers that do that, whether they're for-profit or non-profit, they do tend to specialize in that. But I, th I think that's a great example of why there's a need for a workforce housing center under the Northwest Arkansas Council, for example, why there's a need for an urban land institute tackle housing from an educational perspective. There are programs out there. There are federal and state programs available, but you know our local development community has some, but just not a lot of of experience working with those programs, and they are fairly specialized. So that's, I think, certainly one opportunity is to leverage the existing programs and add some development capacity that has the that can build some experience around leveraging some of those programs. Yeah. No. And. And I hope to see that because the one thing I was telling my wife about when we got here is I was really surprised to see that there weren't, you know, like in the New England area, in Boston in particular, I mean, there's like everywhere you look is a first time homebuyers program. Like here, you know, I mean, you see it advertised, but it's not like a a nonprofit that's running a bunch of first time homebuyer classes and things of that nature. Because, of course, when you buy into a market up in New England, you're you're spending a lot more money to get in. And, and even, But even here, though, I think anywhere people need fundamental training and education about what it means to be a homeowner, what that looks like, what you can expect. It's, you can't, you know, you can't miss, just like sometimes you can maybe miss your rent and work with your landlord. You really can't miss that mortgage payment. You know, there's, it's just a different, 
it's just a different situation. And I think there is a, there's certainly going to be room for that as well. Yeah. Well, I know that when you worked with Iberia Bank Mortgage, it was just simple and easy and everything fell into place <laughs> for you. But, but let's be honest, buying or refinancing a home is a pain in the butt for everyone. Yeah. Even if it's not yeah. your first time. And it's a yeah. str- especially when you're buying a house, you've got all the timelines and deadlines to meet. It is a stressful process for everyone. And so, you know, to your point, you know, we've got Credit Counseling of Arkansas, which is a HUD certified home, home buyer counseling organization that, that works regionally. And they do home buyer classes, they do credit repair. Um, I believe they do some foreclosure prevention. They've got a great new like online module that that does provide some great information in terms of walking first time home buyers through what that process looks like. Right. But I do want to highlight another component of uh, of the the program that we're building that we're starting at Willow Bend and hoping to scale regionally and it and we use a, a word that that you used earlier stewardship. So one the the umbrella term that we operate under this this idea of creating permanently affordable home ownership, it requires long-term stewardship. And so one of the positions we hope to add in the next few months is a stewardship coordinator. And so when we talk about stewardship, we talk about pre-closing stewardship and post-closing stewardship. The closing is the home purchase, the the closing on the house. So pre-closing stewardship is a lot of support and encouragement. Folks that have not purchased a home before, maybe their parents never owned a home, it's an intimidating process. There's a fear that it won't that it won't work out, a fear of disappointment. And and there are a lot of resources out there that we can so we can help play connector. We can provide that support and encouragement, walk with folks along that journey, connect them with mortgage lenders who specialize in in working with first-time home buyers. Maybe they have Mortgage lenders have special programs that offer special loans and discounts for certain census tracts or, or lower income buyers. We can connect folks with ADFA, Arkansas Development Finance Authority, that has a down payment assistance program. So really just making sure that we're connecting folks with all available resources, informational or financial, as well as just that confidence building and support encouragement in the pre-closing process. And then post-closing stewardship, that is, you know, financial planning, estate planning, home maintenance 101. I think that's one of the one of the fears is that a lower income buyer, often they've they've lived in rental housing that maybe did need a lot of repairs. And so now they're going to be transitioning into a very high quality new construction house. And so it's more, but staying up with the preventative maintenance side of things and protecting your family's largest asset. So home maintenance 101, foreclosure prevention if necessary, and then also community building, you know, neighborhood cookouts, events, bar- you know, barbecues, really creating that social capital amongst socioeconomically diverse neighbors. And that's that's all on the post-closing stewardship side of things. So, you know, we have a long-term relationship with the neighborhood. We have a long-term relationship with the houses. And we have a long-term relationship with the buyers. And so we, may, we want to maintain that relationship, regular communications throughout the buying process, but then throughout the, the process of, of owning a home and hopefully then eventually graduating to market rate home ownership. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's, that's perfectly put. Yeah, that, that, it's exciting to see. I'm I'm going to be certainly watching with bated breath to see how this whole thing works out. And and have any of the homes in Willow been been completed yet? Just about. We we have four. The first four houses are almost finished construction. Two of them are under contract. We'll probably close in early May. And then we have two homes available. Those are all market rate homes. We had to start with market rate partially to set comps for the neighborhood, but then also to build up, you know, hope we hope to make some money on the market rate homes. And, right. and then that gives us any, any sort of cash that's needed to, to come to closing to support the below market rate buyers. So we, like we do have to front end load the project it. basically. Right. So, yeah. right. so we do sort of have to front end load it a little bit with market rate homes, but I think we'll be able to, to start some affordable homes pretty quickly. We're starting two more right now that if we found an income qualified buyer, they could certainly be part of what we call the pay it forward program, which is our deed restricted shared equity home ownership program. But we'll be building down there for about the next three years. We hope to have it built out in the next three years. Wow. That's great. That's exciting. Well, wow. I mean, you, you've got you got so much going on. I, I want to switch gears and talk about a few other things because I know our audience, our audience, you know, People listening to this may be moving here and ha- that have kids. And I would love for you, since you are a representative of the Fayetteville Public School System, what do you have to say about schools up here in Northwest Arkansas? What is your overall perception of things? Yeah, I think we're really fortunate to have extremely strong public schools. And that's probably something that folks moving from from outside of the region might be pleasantly surprised by as well. You know, in so many communities, it's um, a lot of folks feel like they they need to send their kids to private school, and I think that's that's not the case here. We've got an extremely strong administration in Fayetteville, and I've had the chance to briefly meet administrators and school board members in some of the other communities, and it's just a really strong, really strong group. So, and we're seeing some you know some some non-public options popping up all the time as well. But I think we're you know the in terms of Building a, a strong community, even a strong neighborhood or a strong region, K-12 education has to be, you know, one of those foundational things that is just, whether it's for, for quality of life, for talent retention, for talent attraction, it's a must-have. And we're really fortunate to to have the, the strong school districts that we have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, my kids have been in the Fayetteville Public Schools. They're at a charter school now. But, you know, you've got a little bit of everything here in Northwest Arkansas. And, yeah. and overall, I think it's definitely a great option for anybody that's relocating here. The school systems are are strong. And, you know, I, I see I've had a chance to encounter and, and connect with a lot of cheap teachers and Dr. Colbert, who is uh, the head of the Fayetteville uh, School Board. And, and so you guys are it's in good hands. I think the school systems up here are in good hands. They're really strong people that are leading the ship and, you know, trying to make a difference on a regular basis. It's not an easy job, but somebody's got to do it. And I think you guys are doing a great job with it. So uh, I certainly, if nobody else has said thank you to you in a while, I want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, you and the rest of your colleagues. And uh, certainly I know it's it's not easy and uh, it's not like they're paying you guys the big bucks to do it. So I appreciate you hanging in there and making hay while the sun shines. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I, I got to use that opportunity to shine a light on the on the entire staff, the teachers, the food service workers, the the 
all the support staff, bus drivers, I mean, and then the administrators. I mean, it obviously they have been on been on the front lines this last year and they've rolled with the punches and figured it out along the way, you know. This around this time last year, the way I was describing this whole thing was, you know, you're trying to make, let's say you're you're trying to make make decisions with imperfect data that is constantly changing. And you have a solution set that you know each and every one of those potential solutions is going to upset a significant chunk of people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, like, exactly. Uh, so I mean, it's just been it's been rough, but uh, the community's hung in there and been super supportive of of the district and and teachers for the most part. And we just owe the entire team um, a debt of gratitude for sure. Yeah, no. Well, I, I listen, that yeah, you you are absolutely right and I, I want to give a shout out to everybody in the in the Fayetteville Public School System and all the Northwest Arkansas school systems that have done a yeoman's task, a yo person's task to to get us through this past year. It has not been easy and uh I salute all of you guys. So, thank you very much. You're absolutely right about that. Well, listen, as we close up, um I certainly want to just find out cuz this has been a really great conversation and and, and I know it's been eye-opening for a lot of our listeners. What do you like to do when you have any time off? Do you have time off? I mean, what do you what do you do when Keaton Smith is isn't wearing one of your many hats? I have to admit, I've gotten myself a little bit overcommitted over these last few <laughs> years. Uh, I love live music. Yeah, I was just up on the square on Saturday night for one of these first couple of Fayetteville Roots Festival yeah. shows. The yeah. Del McCurry Band, or they were playing on what is it East Avenue, going down the hill at a whole stage set up and that was a breath of breath of fresh air. It was, it was a little bit chilly out, but man, Devil's Curry is a is a legend, and it was just like normal, like normal ish, uh, yes. you know. <laughs> and so, very excited to to get back in the in the habit of being able to do more more live music. But on the in terms of just you know, how do you like to spend your your free time, vacation time? outside of, of uh, just hanging with Megan and Cora. Live music is a, is a big passion as well. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I was listening to um, uh, some, I just have a, I'm a huge Dave Matthews fan and I've seen him live. It's amazing. I mean, he puts on an amazing concert. If, if you've never seen Dave Matthews, I, he actually came here and I was out of town when he was in town. And I was like, man, that dude is, I don't know when he's ever going to come back here because he came to the amp a couple of years ago, but Dave Matthews puts on an amazing live concert. So, yeah. uh, but I was listening to, uh, I don't know, one of the songs from uh, one of his previous live concerts that I had been to, but, but you're absolutely right. There's nothing like live music and I'm excited that Roots is going to actually have an event this summer. So that's huge. And it's not going to be as big as normal, but it's going to be something and it will kind of, it will be the, I think it'll be what we need to bridge us between where we were when we had nothing to getting back to some type of normalcy when we can have these events on a regular basis. So it should be nice. Yeah. Brian Hembry mentioned that on stage uh, the other night. He said the way he framed it was three days in August, all outside, smaller capacity. But, you know, I hadn't seen any details about that. So that was, I appreciate the specificity, Brian. Keep, yeah, keep bringing yeah. those it's, beats. It's, it's coming for sure. It's coming for sure. So, well, man, I love this. Keaton, thank you so much, man, for just spending a few minutes with our audience here at I Am Northwest Arkansas to kind of share your thoughts about what's happening here. And, and certainly we appreciate all the work that you're doing. Continue to do it. And we'll have to invite you back in the future to kind of hear how things are going and 
the latest and greatest when it comes to housing here in Northwest Arkansas, because I'm sure it's this won't be the last time that we talk about this subject because it is an important subject. And whether you're listening to this and you're thinking about moving here or whether you already live here and you want to buy a house or you already own a house and trying to figure out what your next step is, there's all kinds of options available to you. And uh, like uh, Keaton said earlier, I can't think of a better place to be than Northwest Arkansas. So, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities and, and we are surrounded by a lot of great organizations, both for-profit and nonprofit, that are good stewards of our community. So uh, we certainly can rest comfortable with that. So Keaton Smith, thank you so much for coming on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, folks, there you have it. Another episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. To learn more about us or to read or download the show notes from today's episode, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. You can listen to this podcast and sign up for our free newsletter to keep up with us and all things NWA. Sign up today. You can subscribe to the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Our podcasts come out every Monday, rain or shine. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we will see you back here next week with a new episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. We'll see you next week on I Am Northwest Arkansas.